Good morning, church family. How are you today? It's a great day, isn't it? I asked Brian on the way off, I said, you're a little excited this morning, aren't you? He said, yeah, man, we're getting ready to talk about marriage. I like that. And so, are you, is your marriage, is you struggling, Brian? Is that what the deal? You Leslie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking care of him. That's all I can say. Red shoes and all. And so, uh, we are glad that you are here. Listen, we want to invite you tonight. There is a class that will begin tonight, uh, small groups around tables. Uh, you and me forever, we would love to invite you to this, to this small group experience. You can sign up online by texting the word forever. You can go on the website, you can sign up there, but we would love for you to, to join us. That word forever to the text line at 352-358-7770. It's not too late to sign up and be a part of that time as we focus on the issue of marriage. Is marriage important? <laughs> Okay, let's ask that one more time. <clears throat> is marriage important? Yes. We're going to talk about it, but not just marriage, but we're going to talk about relationships. You know, how do we develop long-lasting relationships, relationships um, with one another? And, and so, I, um, you know, this can, be really, this can be really, really hard and, uh, because there are so many different scenarios inside of this congregation and people that are listening, especially when you get into the issue of, of, of marriage. You guys, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so it's, it's like the husband and a wife and a tiff. You ever gotten in a tiff? John, you ever been in a tiff before Mary, Marianne? No? I, listen, I, well, listen, guys, this is one tip I'm going to give you. It's not going to charge you anything. If you're in, a, you're in a conversation, you're in a tiff with your wife, she's always right, and it doesn't really matter. Right, wives? Is that right? That's a great way to solve your problem. I was talking to somebody a while ago, and I just said, listen, if you want to solve your problems, all you have to do is say, right, honey, anything you need, I'm there for you. And so that solves your marriage problems. But it's like the, the husband and wife that had a problem, and their, their way of solving their problem was they're just going to have this, they're going to play the silent treatment, Nathan. I know you've never done that before. Anybody ever played the silent treatment? This is, a, this is an opportunity for honesty. Any silent treatment people out here? I'm just not going to talk to you, so we're going to so uh, I'm just going to be quiet. You be quiet. Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to break, but it's not going to be me. I'm not going to break. Mary Ann's happened, hadn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they got in this tiff, and uh, for a couple of days this went on, and, and, and he wasn't going to break, and she wasn't going to break. But all of a sudden, the guy realized he needed something. He, he had something that he needed from his wife. She was his alarm clock, and he had this important business meeting. He had to catch the plane. So he was sort of in a quandary. What, I'm gonna, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Because I'm definitely not going to break my silence because that would mean failure. So he came up with a plan. His plan was to write on a note, Honey, would you please wake me up at 5 a.m. in the morning and have a plane to catch? He went to bed. The next morning he woke up, sun shining in his eyes. Wife is not there. He jumps out of the bed to find it's nine o'clock. Where in the world is she at? Why didn't she wake me up? Only to find a little post note over on the side of his desk. It's 5 a.m. You need to wake up. <laughs> I wonder who won that argument. And so... But I think if we're honest, anytime we get into a conversation about marriage and relationships, it's hard because there are different scenarios in this room. Some of you, man, you're blowing and going when it comes to marriage. Everything's right, okay, at this moment in time. Then there are some of you that if you were to be honest, some of you may not be doing as well. And as a matter of fact, if truth be told, some of you might be looking for an exit strategy. 
Then there are others of you. Maybe you've walked through a divorce and still feeling that pain, or maybe you've lost a loved one and still grieving that loss. Or maybe you're single and you're patiently awaiting Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, but then again, maybe you're not so patiently awaiting. But I think it's hard when we talk about the issue of relationships because of the various scenarios that we seem to come from. But regardless of what scenario or circumstance you find you're in, this is what I'm this is my prayer for us, is that over these next several weeks we're gonna grow. We're going to learn. There's some things that we're going to be exposed to from God's Word that's going to help us in this journey because what we're going to talk about isn't just principles that are applicable to marriage, but they're applicable to any type of relationship that we may have. Saying that, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesus, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, if you would with me today. Let's begin there. By the way, you have no earthly idea how blessed you are to have the musicians the singers that we have at this church. Yes. The people that run technology, the people that sing, the people that lead us in worship, we are a blessed church. Brian, thank you for you and your team and what they do. You uh, encourage us and you lead us to worship every time that we're together, and I'm very, very thankful for that. And so as you're turning there, I just want to say there's a couple of assumptions that Paul has that Paul, Paul makes as they relate to marriage specifically today. Assumptions that we may not think an awful lot about these times, but I want to give you those assumptions really quickly up front. Number one, marriage is an institution that was created, ordained, and designed by God. Paul's going to go back and he's going to refer to back in the book of Genesis, the first marriage, the beginning. The fact that God, that marriage was not our idea, it was God's idea, that he's created it, he designed it, he ordained it. But that isn't all because there's another assumption that we sometimes, that, that, that Paul makes that sometimes we forget that marriage is between a man and woman. I don't care what culture tells you, God did not design it for man and man or woman and woman. Marriage was designed for a man and a woman. And also in our text today, what we're going to see is that a husband and a wife are one. But even in our oneness, there's different roles that they play. And even, in those, even though those roles are contrary, they complement one another. And this idea of oneness is a theme that will dominate our passage as we read today. And so with that being said, I want you to look at chapter 5 in, in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus there in chapter 5. And I want you to, we're going to be looking and reading from verses 21 to 23. And while you're turning there, one of the things that we're going to learn today that we're going to focus on, we're going to go back to over and over again, is when we experience oneness in marriage, what we do is we echo our oneness in Christ. That our, our, our oneness flows out of a oneness in our relationship with Christ. Our oneness in marriage flows from this over here. We can't have this over here without this over here. Impossible. Simply, it means that when we're married, our relationship with our spouse should be a reflection and an illustration of our relationship with Christ and his oneness and relationship with the church. In other words, this is what God intends, that I love Meredith in such a way that my love for her is a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And if that's true, then how do I discover and experience the oneness that God has designed for us in marriage? And so where do we start at? And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at some essentials to this marital oneness that we're talking about with the first being, and you can write this down if, you, if you'd like to keep notes today or 
walk alongside of me, we're going to see in verse 21 that marital oneness begins with servanthood. Marital oneness begins with servanthood. Look at what Paul writes there in verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's Paul up front in his passage of Scripture uh, giving us the context behind everything that he's getting ready to say about marriage here in this one verse. A side note, if we look at the book of, uh, of Ephesians and what Paul would write, the first three chapters, he talks about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. And then the last three chapters, four, five, and six, he talks to us about what it looks like to live out our faith in Christ. And if you happen to go back and read the verses that lead up to this passage in verse 21, the verses that lead up to that passage, Paul, what he does is he tells us what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't miss this, because the last thing that Paul says about being filled with the Holy Spirit is this, is that it will be evidenced, verse 21, in our submission, being filled with the Holy Spirit will be evidenced in our submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you get that? That our relationships, that our relationships that we're in, this, our submission to one another will come not out of our own ability, not out of our own uh, power, but it will come out of a reverence for Christ. What it means is that outside of Christ, without the work of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for us to live as God intended us to live, for us to be able to submit ourselves to one another. And this isn't just in marriage, this is in any relationship. I need you to marinate on that for a second. Just marinate on it. It means that outside the work of Christ, but outside the work of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for us to live and submit ourselves to one another. So here's Paul using, talking about submission. And that word submit means to arrange underneath or to place ourselves underneath. And Paul would use this word to specifically describe the relationship between a soldier and how he would respond to somebody of a higher ranking than himself. And what's interesting here is that Paul would use this special form of the word to teach us that it, it wasn't about a forced submission, but it was voluntary. There was a willingness to submit. It was a choice. And that selfless and willing submission was for the sake and for the benefit of the other person. Which is where we see the oneness in the marriage relationship. That when a man and woman, a husband and wife, when they choose to willingly submit their own agendas, submit and serve one another, there's a motivating factor. And it's not that they get what they want, but the motivating factor is Jesus in a submission to him. Yet how many of us stumble over these words? How many of us stumble over the words that we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, because we're constantly arguing about what's fair. And when we live that way, not only do our relationships suffer, not only do our marriages suffer, but we do as well. Maybe you've heard the musical before, Fiddler on the Roof. Tevi, the actor Tevi, he says something like, like this in relationship to, to relationships. He said, if you insist on an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you'll end up, we'll all end up blind and toothless by the time it's over with. Make note of that. Isn't our heavenly father kind that he would give Paul 
the, in, the inclination to write, that the Holy Spirit would prompt him to write, wanting to spare us the pain and the suffering. And so what he does is he gives us direction here through the words of Paul. Submit yourself one to another out of, out of reverence for Christ. Now listen, think back to the last time it may have been this morning. might have been as you're walking in the door. It might even be as you're sitting beside one another. When's the last time you've been in a conflict? When's the last time you've been at odds with, with somebody? When's the last time you've not saw eye to eye? I would dare say it's probably because you're not getting what you want or getting what you feel like you deserve. Paul or, or James, when he was writing, he would ask the question, why is there quarrels among us? Is it not because of our own selfish desires? You want something, but you don't get it? Just think about that in relationship to your last conflict. What was the reason for the explosion of the emotions? And so Paul writes that if we want to experience this, this oneness in marriage that he's talking about, it begins with us being filled with the Holy Spirit and a willingness to submit ourselves to one another. And why is that? Out of reverence for Jesus. It's not you and your needs, but being willing to place the, the needs of others above that of your own. And Paul says, listen, that's true oneness. You want to know what oneness is in a relationship? That's oneness. You want to know what intimacy in marriage is? It's the overflow of what's taking place in one's personal relationship with Christ. And here Paul is applying the idea of being filled with the Spirit and servanthood in the context of marriage itself. And then he goes on to show us how we cultivate this oneness. Now, Paul, being smart, he begins with the women, okay? That's just what he does. Y'all are supposed to laugh at that. That's supposed to be funny. Y'all are like, going, oh my goodness gracious, what's going on here? But Paul, he begins with the women. And look at what he says to wives. Don't, you know, verse 22, for wives, for ladies, okay, wives, this means submit to your husbands. Y'all like that, don't you? Woo! It means submit to your husbands. That's to the Lord, for the husband is the head. Boy, we like that too, don't we, men? Mm, yes. You're not going to like it in a minute when we're done with this. The husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives such, such should submit to your husbands in everything to which the men go. That's what I'm talking about, Pastor Sid. But here's Paul talking to about us about oneness as it relates to marriage. Specifically here, he's speaking to women, to wives. And look at, look at what he says. And this would be, this is a very important part. The spirit-filled wife cultivates oneness by submission to her husband. You can write that down. Ladies, don't, don't, don't throw anything at me. I don't need you to throw anything at me. This is Paul, not me. I'm just telling you, I'm the messenger. I'm just repeating what Paul said, but as careful as we can be in talking about this passage of Scripture, there's only some of you that will hear. Some of you will only hear this. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband so that he can take advantage of you. True? I mean, when you hear this passage, there are some people, some of us can only hear, listen, you just want me to submit so my husband can take advantage of, it, of us. And I think if we're honest, there, there are some husbands that will use this passage of text um, to justify their foolish actions. Listen, I, okay. 
I can't talk to the wives, but I can talk to the husbands. And probably over these next several weeks, it's going to get really hard on you. So it might be good if some of y'all just want to stay home and watch online. <laughs> I don't want to talk to the women, but I do want to talk to the men over this. Because by the time it's over, men, men we, got to, we got to step up. That's, that's all I'm going to say. But there's a lot of men that will use this passage of Scripture to justify their actions. Um, but treating our spouse poorly, men, is not what Paul's talking about at all. Not at all. And in no way does that type of an action bring glory to God, which we're going to be talking about in just a second. But the command that we see for submission here isn't about being inferior or less than your husband, wives, because the Bible teaches that God created us all in his image and that all of us have access to the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, and that we can become part of his family by submitting and humbling ourselves and crying out to him, and that we all can be saved and have the hope of eternal life. Amen? Amen. And if we don't stop and ponder here what Paul is saying, it can be easy for us to miss out on God's design for marriage. And Paul is saying here, the wife, under being filled with the Spirit, under submission and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, cultivates this oneness in marriage by submission to her husband. In other words, a wife's submission to her husband, placing herself underneath him, flows out of her first commitment to Christ and submission to him. And that a wife's submission to her husband is the result of her, firstly, her submission to Christ. Notice what he writes in verse 22. For wives, this means submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And up front, the motivation here is, a, is behind, a, what is the motivation behind the wife's submission? We see that. Make note, this doesn't, she doesn't submit to her husband because he deserves it. But she submits to him as an act of worship in accordance with her love and her obedience to Christ and Christ alone. Secondly, the, submission, the submitted wife, the submissive wife, is willing to yield to her husband's leadership. Notice what Paul says in verse 33. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body of the church. This is God's design. This is his structure, not our structure. That God, the creator of, of all things, the creator and the designer of marriage, placed man at the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. Now, which some of us might want to question, well, how does Christ, how does Christ lead the church? To which our answer is, he was willing to give his life for her. But in no way, no way does Christ's attitude of servanthood and submission mean that Jesus in any way was inferior or he was less than. So wives, when you serve your husband by yielding to their leadership, not because they deserve it, but this position of leadership isn't an opportunity to dictate our wives or dominate our wives, but to love our wives' husbands. The famous theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer would say, before he was executed by Hitler, Hitler by speaking out against him, he had a friend that was getting married, and he wrote a letter, and at the end of his letter, he would write this in reference to marriage, and I will read it to you. Now, when the husband is called the head of his wife, of the wife, 
as Christ is the head of the church, something of the divine splendor is reflected in our earthly relationships. And this reflection is, is one that we should recognize and honor. The, dig- the dignity that is here ascribed to the man lies not in the capacity or the qualities of his own, but in the office conferred on him by his marriage. The wife should see her husband clothed in this dignity, but for him it is a supreme responsibility. Man, guys, we got to hold on to this. It's a responsibility. As the head, it is he who is responsible for his wife, for their marriage, for their home. And on him falls the care and the protection of the family. He represents her to the outside world. He is its mainstay and comfort. He is the master of the house who exhorts and helps and comforts and stands before God. Men, there's a lot of responsibility that falls on our shoulders when it comes to marriage, when it comes to our relationships with our spouse, when it comes to leading our homes. Not with this attitude that I'm large and in charge and, man, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the big dog. Mm-mm. No, you, you, you're the man with the big responsibility that God has given you, humbly given you to lead and to direct. Wives, the submission isn't because you agree with everything, but is a willful decision to yield yourself to your husband. Why? So that you can cultivate this oneness in marriage through submission to your husband, which comes as an overflow of your commitment and your submission to Christ first. And then Paul goes on to write in verse 24, look at what he says, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands. In what? In some... In most, no, no. As the church submits to Christ, the wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Which, to the third point, the wife's submission applies to every area of life. Now, the word everything here we see in verse 24 doesn't mean everything that is hurtful and everything that is degrading. But Paul's talking about every area of life. Submission he's talking about isn't about picking and choosing, but it it means that we are to give consideration, that you are to give consideration and respect to your husband in every area of life where he leads. And where does this attitude of submission come from? Does it come as a result of the fact that he deserves it? No. But out of your commitment to Christ. And when we choose to live the way that God designed, we just don't experience oneness in marriage, but our marriage echoes our oneness in Christ, which all begins with our submission to him, Jesus. And then Paul moves the wives to the side and he says, let's talk to the men just a little bit. He turns his attention to the husband's. The spirit-filled wife cultivates oneness in marriage through submission to her husband, which flows from her submission to Christ. But what about the men? Look at what he says in verse 25 and following. For husbands, this, must, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his own self for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives 
as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And so we see another essential here when it comes to oneness in marriage as it relates to the man. And this is what it is. Here's your thing. Number three, a spirit-filled husband cultivates oneness by loving his wife. The wife submits. The husband loves. The wife yields. She submits herself to her husband's leadership. And when she does, she fulfills one of the greatest needs that he has, and that is for respect. Ladies, did you hear that? Do you know how insecure the man is that you say that you love? He desires respect. A lot of the fears, you don't know the fears that your husband faces. There's a reason that God said what he said and what he, what he had written what he had written. It's because God knows and he's the designer. So for the woman, it was that she would yield and she would and yield and fulfill that need for respect. But don't miss this, guys. It is the husband's responsibility to submit himself to his wife's greatest needs. And that is making sure that she feels loved. So what does this love look like? Let's look at a couple of examples. Write down the word sacrifice or sacrificially. Going back to verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ do that? He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Men, those of you that have been in one of the discipleship classes, the small, intense discipleship classes, that's one of your, I ought to make you stand right now and see if you still got it memorized. For husbands, this must, yeah, it's important. It's an important verse here. And so, sacrifice. For husbands, this means love your wives. And the question isn't, am I willing to die for my wife? Am I, not, am I willing to take a bullet for my wife? That's not what's being said here. But am I willing to place her needs above that of my own? Jesus willingly gave his life for the church. But his sacrifice for the church began long before the cross, stepping out of heaven into a manger where he would grow up and for 30 years he would submit himself to his earthly father and he would learn the trade of carpentry. And then he would submit himself to his heavenly father, traveling and teaching and healing the sick and loving those who were broken and unloved. And then there, there was that night when they were celebrating the Passover meal together with some of his disciples and he would get down on his knees and he would take the form of a servant and he would wash his disciples' feet only later, just hours later, to find himself in a garden surrounded by people, arrested, put on trial, beaten, and then he would be led up to Golgotha where he would be nailed to a cross and sacrificed for our sins. So guys, if we, if we want to know what it looks like to love our wives sacrificially, we don't have to look any further than Jesus himself because he is our example. And just as, just as willing as Jesus was to give up everything for his bride, the church, for you and for me, for every one of us, we should be willing to love our wives in the same way. Husbands also 
Not only just love our wives, but also the B, the second thought there is sanctifying. Paul says that as husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And then he goes on to to write that Jesus gave up his own life for the church. And in verse 26, why? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her, his bride, the church, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. The ESV version translation uses the word sanctify. Sanctify, that he might sanctify her. That word sanctify means to set apart, means to make holy. And the idea here is that for those of us, we are to love our wives, men. We are to love them in a way that increases their beauty and their growth growth in Christ. Husbands, we are to lead our spouses, our wives, to grow spiritually. We are to stand in the gap for them. When's the last time you prayed for your wife? When's the last time you prayed with your wife? When's the last time that you've thought about the spiritual growth of your wife? Men, we're to be more concerned with our wife's long-term holiness than her short-term happiness. Husbands is our home a place where spiritual growth is encouraged. Or is this a responsibility you just passed over on to your to your wife? Do you view yourself, men, as a pastor to your spouse, to your family? Have you accepted the responsibility of helping your spouse and your children grow up in Christ? Or has your spiritual laziness forced your wife into a role that God did not design for her? Why is it so stinking quiet this morning? (laughs) We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Sacrificially, sanctifying, And third, husbands, we are to love and we are to be sensitive. Sensitive. Verse 28, he says, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his It's normal to want to take care of ourselves. It's normal to want to take a bath and to comb our hair for those of us that have hair. It's it's normal to want to put on some underarm deodorant. Is that a good word? Yeah. It's it's normal to want to put on some, you know, some some smell some smell good and and to look good and to feel good. It's, It's normal to do that. And Paul's saying that when we take care of our wives, what we're doing in essence is we're taking, taking care of ourselves. When we nourish and cherish our wives, in essence what we're doing is nourishing and cherishing ourselves. You might want to think of it this way as it relates to marriage, that in marriage, self-care can be manifested or displayed in wife care husbands. That when we care for our wife, we're also caring for our Selves. And we can't do that in our own strength. 
but only through the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us and empowers us to cherish her. And then Paul finishes up with these words in verses 31 to 33. As the scriptures say, going back, a man leaves his father and mother and joined with his wife, and the two are united into one. It's a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so here's the last essential that we see to experiencing oneness in the marriage relationship. Oneness in marriage lasts with a spirit-filled commitment. Paul goes back to the book of Genesis when God instituted marriage and he reminds the believers that he was speaking and he was writing to there at Ephesus of the importance of unity and commitment that the marriage requires. Listen, it's not just till my feelings leave me Probably somewhere along in your marriage commitment, your, your marriage vows, there was something that says, till death do part. Maybe you remember that. In verse 31, he says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So in marriage, a man and a woman, they're to leave their parents and establish their own independence and they were to be united in marriage and commit themselves one to another. And after our relationship with God, this now becomes the priority relationship. Husband and wife, man and woman, even above your children. And that in marriage you are to leave and you are to cleave. And this oneness begins with spiritual servanthood. Don't miss it. The spirit-filled wife cultivating oneness through her submission to her husband. Her husband cultivating oneness by loving his wife. And when we see that oneness in marriage last, oneness in marriage last with a spirit-filled commitment. Till death do part. So in closing, let me ask you this question. It's an important question. In light of what we've been talking about, what kind of picture of the gospel, what kind of picture of the gospel does your marriage give to the world? In, in, in light of our discussion today, what kind of picture of the gospel does your marriage give to the world? Because as followers of Christ, our marriage should be a reflection of a greater marriage. The one that Paul was referring to in verse 32 when he said, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Our marriage is a reflection and an illustration of the ultimate marriage between Christ and his church. And don't miss this. It means that our marriage relationship, the one that God instituted in Genesis 2, was designed by God to be a picture of the gospel. Don't miss it. When we're talking about impacting the world, ladies, if you're married, the relationship that you have with your husband is a picture of the church to the world. Men, our relationship with our wife is a picture of Jesus to the world. 
And if the wife is emotionally unavailable, if she's physically unfaithful, what she does is she demonstrates showing the world that Jesus isn't satisfying enough. If she chooses not to submit to her husband and his leadership, what she is saying to the world is that Jesus isn't worth following. If the husband abandons his wife, he's painting a picture to the world that Christ abandons his children. If the husband ignores his wife, he's showing the world that Jesus wants nothing to do with his people. If the husband is harsh with his wife, he's telling the world that Jesus is angry with us. And so you ask yourself, what kind of picture of the gospel is my marriage painting to the world around us? Is it leading people more towards Christ? Or is it painting a picture to the world that says, I don't want nothing to do with him? And for those who've experienced the pains of divorce, it's important to be encouraged and look through the lens of Jesus and believe that God's grace is sufficient to cover for those who are willing to receive it. But maybe maybe it's not the past that you're struggling with. Maybe the struggles are in the present. And at this moment, your marriage is in crisis crisis. I want you to know that God's grace just doesn't cover the past, but it also covers the present right here and right now. And God's grace just doesn't cover our past, but it empowers us in the present. And our Heavenly Father makes His grace available through the Holy Spirit for those of us that are willing to submit ourselves to Him out of reverence. And while oneness in marriage, what it does, it echoes our oneness in Christ. I've said this often, that the struggles that we face in our marriage or relationships aren't as much about our marriage or relationships as they are about our relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me today? While your heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many wives in here would say today, I want to be a better spouse? Would you raise your hand? I want to be a better spouse. I want to be more submissive to my husband. Let me just say this. It starts with your relationship with Jesus. How many husbands are in this room today that said, man, husband, I want to be the man that God's called me to be. Would you raise your hand? It's not about you trying harder, but it's about you bringing yourself under submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and viewing marriage as an opportunity. An opportunity to present the gospel to the world of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for for him. See, when we're submitted, when we're submitted and we bring ourselves under the lordship of Christ, this oneness in marriage echoes our oneness in Christ. See, you can't, but with Christ you can.
I would pray one day that this place would be an incredible testimony and a light to this world of what Jesus can do in and through marriages. And that our homes would be breeding grounds, <laughs> not just to raise godly children, but they would be breeding grounds for the world around us, our neighbors and those within our vicinity to see Jesus at work. And they would recognize that there is hope. Fathers, we prepare to leave this place. We've been able to read your word today and talk about your word and the significance of your word. There's some essentials that we've talked about in reference to submission, that it begins with servanthood. And wives, you're to submit. You're to submit out of, out of, out of reverence for Christ. And husbands, you're to love your wives. And that there is, that there can be a oneness in marriage as a result of a spirit-filled, lifelong commitment. Father, I pray as we strive for that. But Lord, there may be someone here today that is struggling in their relationship with you. I pray that in, our, in this time that maybe they, they would come to that place of saying, Lord, I just I want to clear the slate. I want to come before you and I want to humble myself and I want to give my life to Jesus. Today, I want to cry out to you and I want to willingly submit my life to you today. And if that's you today, right there where you are, you can pray to receive Jesus. You can humble yourself and you can cry out to him. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible teaches us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, being Jesus, that we can be saved. And that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if there's someone here there today that is at that place, Lord, I pray that right now they would call out to you, Jesus, save me. For the rest of us in this room, help us to continue to submit ourselves, to follow the plan that you've put in place, to recognize that you are creator and designer, and Father, to engage the tensions that are there, to recognize that we are it is easy for us to live in the flesh, but to recognize that that's not what we want to do, but we want to bring ourselves, we want to submit ourselves one to another as unto the Lord out of reverence for Christ, and that that be the goal. Father, I pray that our marriages would reflect you, be an illustration of you and the gospel itself and your deep affection and love for us. As we walk out these doors, remind us today of the position that we have as a child of the King. Remind us today of the opportunity we have to be your ambassador to the world around us that they may come to know Jesus because he is our only hope. Thank you, Father, for being with us in this place today for the privilege we have. In Jesus' name, amen.